so we've been for three weeks in this passage. Um, it is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is a highlight of the Sermon on the Mount because I believe Jesus sort of draws back from the very specific details of how to live, which he gets deeply detailed in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, turn the other cheek, all of these things that are very specific about how followers of Jesus live. And then he says this sort of broad statement about the narrow road and the wide road and all of that. So we've been in it for a few weeks and we've taken our time with it because I feel like it is uh, it's pretty important. And I think it's important because it includes things like destruction, which you would want to be aware of, or what it means to find life, which we are all in pursuit of. And it is an important paradigm, a, a way to see things, not just this understanding of who Jesus is, but every other teaching of Jesus flows from this understanding. In other words, if, if you miss this, you probably miss the entire gospel. And many people miss the gospel. They missed it then when he was teaching and living and walking and breathing on the earth, and they miss it today. And when we miss it, then we don't see what is right in front of us playing on the page. Because it's pretty clear when you read just the gospel context that Jesus had some very specific things in mind. And so we've been wrestling for three weeks now with one simple question, and it's this question, what is the narrow road? That's been our question. It's the, the road that Carl said yes to today and has said, been, actually he's been on the narrow road for some time now. It's the road that you want to be on if you're a follower of Jesus. Or if you're investigating or wondering or pondering what it means to follow Jesus, it's the one that you see many people on and you're wondering, is, is that the right road? Because it feels like there's a lot of churches, a lot of different roads, and they're very, just a wide and varied set of priorities and issues that seem to be important to a lot of different people. I wonder what Jesus meant when he said the narrow road. So if you have some church experience in your background, then you were maybe handed an understanding of what it means to be on the narrow road. Not necessarily the one I'm going to share today, but probably something like it or something in the neighborhood of it. When Jesus uses this metaphor and says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life, there was a, a meaning behind it. Or it was explained in this way. And we alluded to it a few weeks ago when we kicked off this little bit in this Sermon on the Mount, the portion in Matthew 7 that we're in. But this is how I'll say it today. That when Jesus talks about this narrow gate, road, and the broad, the least instruction, we would say this. I would say it this way. Maybe you wouldn't. That the narrow road is a morally strict life that if, if lived properly will result in heaven. Now, how many of you think you heard something like that when you were taught what the narrow road is. Let me see your hands. Okay, good bunch of you. So pretty, pretty close. And if, if it wasn't that, then it was probably something in the neighborhood. It feels like that the world that Jesus lived and walked and breathed in in the first century, that this was the same perspective that most people had. That if you're going to be on the narrow road, or if somebody's on the straight and narrow, we might say in our vernacular, this was the perspective that the Pharisees or the religious leaders would have had. That their focus was chiefly on behavior and the things that we do. And so you see this all the time. This is why Jesus says, uh, as he's going about the world, as he's 
teaching as he's with his disciples. This is why he teaches the way he does. But then the Pharisees show up and say things like this. How come they don't wash their hands before they eat? It's behavior. Hmm. Why did he heal somebody on the Sabbath? So you just witnessed a miracle and your concern is what day it happened. This is why they had the discussions that they had. It's why Jesus pronounced the woes and the blessings that we shared last week. That the narrow road surely must be a morally strict life that if if lived properly will result in what? In heaven. Now the behavior that they focused on, same as the behavior that we focus on, it had all kinds of connotations and meanings. It was uh, religious, it was ceremonial, and it was moral. It had a moral flavor to it and a moral definition and characteristic. And Jesus attacks this idea on almost every page of the Gospels. His teachings come against it. And if you have this perspective, then the understanding that we have comes up significantly short. And this view, this idea that this is the narrow road, it has sort of a gravity all its own. In fact, it's not surprising that the Pharisees felt the way they did because their forefathers felt the same way. And not only that, when it tries to get corrected through history, either through the Reformation or some other sort of revolution that happens in church life, gravity draws it back. This is why we had the puritanical movement of the 16th century. It's why the purity movement that some of us grew up in in the 90s exists. Because there is this perspective that the narrow road is a morally strict life that if you live it properly, it'll result in heaven. There are a couple issues with this perspective, and you'll see them when I point them out. But it could be that you think this along with some other things. Most of us wouldn't be so naive or so short-sighted in our faith to think this is the only thing that the narrow road is. But we would say that, well, sure, it's other good things, of course, but this is certainly a part of it, or this is half of it, or this is a good portion of it. But, of course, this perspective has some significant issues with it. And when we don't understand them, we miss so much. The first issue that I want to point out is this. It removes the the power of the gospel when you believe this. And I know that some of you are thinking, now wait, wait, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like God is concerned about behavior. A lot of scripture is about behavior. That's true. And we'll address that. But if you believe or adhere or subscribe to this idea, then the power of the gospel is taken out. It turns Christian life or church life or church community life into a behavior management system. This is what God has in mind, that we would live a certain way or act a certain way. Listen very close. Jesus didn't die so that you would be a kinder person. He didn't. He didn't die so that you would behave morally. I know many people, and so do you, who behave morally, who are very kind, that know nothing or care anything about Jesus at all. Jesus died so that you would not be a slave to the fear of death. That's why he died. And if this is our hope that we live a morally strict life, then we have removed the very essence of the power of the gospel. The other issue with this view or this idea 
it misunderstands the means and the end. You know what means and end are, right? Means is the path, end is the journey, the destination, the goal. This completely misunderstands the means and the end of the gospel or what it means to even follow Jesus. And so what I mean by that is this. The means is what? Well, it's a morally strict life. And the end is what? What's the end? Heaven. And if this is the view that you grew up with, that we live our life and this world is not our home and we just have to suffer through until we can all be rewarded with heaven, then you have missed the very essence of the gospel again, which is, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here now. And we can participate, engage, see it, experience it. And we do so not because we're living a morally strict life, but because Jesus invited us to follow him along this path. And this, this understanding of it, this journey that we're on, if we misunderstand the ends and the means, if our bearings aren't set, in other words, if you take out your compass and you take out your map and you understand where you're going and your bearings are off, well, the first step or two along the way, you can still see where you're headed. But many steps down the road, well, you know what happens many steps down the road. You end up in a completely different place. You're not even near to where you needed to be or where you even wanted to be. And so this, this picture of this being the narrow road, well, it's important that we understand first what Jesus didn't say, and he didn't say that. And so if we want to understand this scripture then, let's take a look at a few of the words that he says, specifically what they mean. And our hope is to replace maybe what we were taught or maybe what others want us to think or believe with what Jesus actually had to say. So I don't know if you've had an eye appointment lately, but if you have, then you sat in the, in the office and you sit in that uncomfortable chair and then they bring this machine up to you and you put your chin on it and then they put these contraptions in front of you and they say one thing. What, what do they say when they put this little lens in front of your face? One or two, right? And then when you say, uh, I'm not sure, I think one. So then they go to a different set of words. What are they? Better or worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you remember. Yeah, yeah. So when they do that, they're replacing, you know, a lens that keeps things fuzzy or you miss the point completely with something that is a little more clear. And when you do this, they keep, and every time I go to the eye appointment, I think of the many, many years that optometrists have been going to school, this is the best we've got. Is, is for me to sit in front of a lens and say better or worse. I, you should be able to look at my eye and tell me what I need. And they, you know, they would say, no, that's not how it works. Better or worse. And so what we want to do is take a look at what Jesus says, not what the church says, not even what I say. You should test everything I say with your own reading of Scripture and the, all of the Gospels and everything that's in uh, the entire counsel of God. And then you should decide, is it better or is it worse? you see more clear? Does it help you to become a better follower of Jesus? And so to help us do that, some of these words are going to help us diagnose that, better or worse. So let's say the whole thing together. Are you ready? 
you're going to have to give it a little bit of energy to make up for your friends who are wa- saying it from their living room. We're glad you're here. We are. We're glad you're watching. You count. You count. Are you ready? Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so a couple of words that I want you to grasp, and the first is this word, destruction. And the word destruction in the Greek, this, this original language that Jesus spoke in, it, it means ruin or loss or waste. It's important that you grasp this meaning. So when the woman who poured uh, the oil on Jesus' feet and very expensive use of this oil, and, and she, she's poured, the disciples looked at Jesus and they said, why this destruction? And we wouldn't use that word. In fact, in, in the English translation, it says, why this? you know what it says? Why this waste? That's right. Why, why this waste? It, it could have been sold and the money had been spent for the poor, they said. And of course, we know their heart wasn't really about the poor. They were just embarrassed that they didn't think of this lavish display of love themselves. This is the same word. So wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to Waste or loss. Destruction isn't a bad translation, but if you're under the impression that this passage is about heaven and hell, then you would be mistaken. There are three Greek words all throughout the New Testament that are used to describe hell, the place, and not one of them is used in this passage. It's not about hell. It's not about salvation. It's not about your ultimate destination has nothing to do with that. And so immediately then, we've got another lens in front of our eyes and it says, we say, oh, that's better, that's better. I see, I understand it better. There's a word there and that picture helps paint it for me. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to what? So there are many Greek, there are three Greek words, in fact, that describe life. One has to do with your psychological life, one has to do with your physical life, And one has to do with this word that Jesus uses very often when he's talking about life, and it is your God life. It is the word zoe in Greek, and it has to do with the God-breathed life that exists in you, that existed in you when you were created, and will exist in you eternally. And that life that Jesus is describing is the same sort of life that he is describing when he says the kingdom of God is here now. The kingdom of heaven is here now. So that moment in your life when you sense that God is doing something through you to uh, encourage somebody else or build a connection with some part of your purpose or meaning in your life, that sense that you have The same sense that Eric Little had when he would run in the Olympics, when he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. That is the God life that's in you. And that's the word in this this statement. Now, when Jesus uses this phrase narrow, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, he is describing with this one word the same process that happens when wine is made. It is a a crushing, a squeezing that occurs. It is this intense pressure, narrowing, if you will. That's why it says narrow. 
Uh, it's not, again, maybe not even the best translation, but it is this pressure that occurs and squeezing that occurs and something really good comes of it. Well, the good wine comes from it. And this is what is meant by the narrow road. You could also translate it, you know, pressure or some sort of compression, but also difficult and hard. Same thing. And so when Jesus is describing the narrow road, he's saying this, that there are some things that you're going to experience in your life that are hard and difficult. There are choices that you have to make. There's a path that you need to walk down. And it's going to be very difficult for you to see clearly about the right choice to make. And that is going to feel like the narrow road, but it's going to lead to life. And so when Jesus describes the life that he wants us to live, in John chapter 10, he also talks about the destruction that can happen to us. Maybe you know this passage. He says, the thief comes only to to steal, to kill, and what? Do you know the word? Same word. Same word. But I have come that you may have what? Same word. It's the same picture. And so it is this understanding that there is destruction, and this destruction is loss, and it is waste, but there is also a path that leads to life. And that path that leads to life is this God life that Jesus wants us to experience. And so what we ask you to do is to read the Sermon on the Mount, read the context of these verses, and ask the question, what's the narrow road? What is it? Am I on it? What does it look like? What does it look like if I'm on it? Because at the end of the day, what you want is to live a life where Jesus describes these two different paths and you want to avoid this path. You want to avoid it in your relationships, in your work. You want to avoid it in your career. You want to avoid it in your finances. I mean, I could make a list and go on and on. That You, you want to avoid waste and loss or destruction at every turn if you could. But you also want to experience the life that God had in mind for you. And these are antithetical. They're, they're different. They're, they're opposites. They're on the extremes. And God had in mind for you a life that is full of life. That it is life upon life. That's what it says in John 10. It is life abundantly is how we translate it. And so read the context. And they even said, you know, if you want to, you can even go to all the Gospels and read the teachings of Jesus and see if there's some descriptions or some pictures of what it's like to understand these two verses in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you did that, then you might think, you know what, I think there was a place somewhere where Jesus talked about a gate. I'm not sure where it was, and you could Google it, and you find it in about two seconds. And if you did, then you found this out of John 10, 9. That same passage where I was describing, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, all in the same context. Jesus says, I am the what? And so before you begin to describe the gate in some sort of moral certainty, you should at least take at face value the teaching of Jesus when he says, look, the gate isn't a religion. The gate isn't a prescribed way to behave. The gate, first of all, is a person. It's a person. Jesus says, I am the gate. In other words, Jesus places himself at the entrance of all of these things. If we're going to understand the narrow road, then we first have to start with this. Whoever enters me, enters through me, will be what? Saved. 
will be made whole. Now, most of your translations use the word saved there, but some other translations are a little more thoughtful in understanding the context of this word and the definition of the Greek word, and be made complete or be made whole is the picture that he says. I am the gate. It's not a set of beliefs. It's not even a religion, but it is a person that you're invited to walk with and follow. And so, if we understand that he is the gate, then we will also understand, if we're understanding where, where, where is this path, where is this journey taking me, that it would be just a few chapters later that Jesus says these words, I am what? I am the way. I, I am, in other words, Jesus is saying, if you're wondering what the road is, I am the road. I am. It's a road, a path, a traveler's way. And with it, this second part of the definition, it's a way of what? Thinking, feeling, and deciding. Which you do hundreds of times every day. You think and you feel and you decide. And Jesus is inviting you to take what he teaches and place it alongside what you think and feel and decide. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're with me, if you have entered this path because of me, and you are walking with me, then you are on the road. Watch how I treat others, Jesus says. Watch what I teach. Watch what I've invited you to. And if you do that, then you are on the narrow road. And you can make a decision multiple times in any given day to either hop back on the narrow road or go back to this other road that will lead you to a place of waste and loss and pain and struggle. But make no mistake, the narrow road is full of struggle too. And you will find yourself struggling because you desperately want probably to have your own way. And so right before this analogy and metaphor of the narrow road, Jesus gives us this piece of context, and he says it this way. Say it with me. Treat others as you want them to treat you. This is what the and the prophets are all about. So Jesus' most hotly debated discussions occurred with the Pharisees. They were experts in the law and the prophets, and they had decided that to follow God, it meant to live a morally strict life that led, in essence, to a place of salvation. In our words, heaven. They didn't say it that way. And they had decided that this was not the point of the law and prophets, to treat others as you want them to treat you. They had decided that the law and the prophets were about finding an exclusive way to be in God's good graces. In other words, a morally strict behavior, a morally strict life, it would lead to a place of peace with God. And Jesus came along to say, whatever you have done, you have taken God out of the equation. You've made him the end, but that's not even the end in mind because the kingdom of heaven is here now. And so this is what Jesus combated and came against, argued against and disputed throughout his entire ministry. And so he came along and said this. He gave us well, we have a name for this. You know what we call it? What kind of rule? It's the golden rule. Jesus wasn't the first to say it. It happened centuries before he came along. Many people said it. In fact, almost all major world religions have a version of this. 
but Jesus was the first to say it in a positive way. In most religions, it's said this way, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. And so it's viewed as in sort of negative connotation of, you know, if you don't want to be hit, don't hit somebody. If you don't want to be cheated on, don't cheat. If you don't want to steal, then then don't expect other people to steal from you. You need to not do the things that you don't want done to you. One of the most initial times in history for it to be spoken in this positive way, Jesus comes along and he says, treat others as you want them to treat you. But then he follows it up with this statement that must have inflamed and incensed and confused most of the religious people present. When you read the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, that's what they are all about. This is what matters most. It is about this relationship. In other words, if you want to know if you're on the narrow road, this is what it, this is what it means. If you want to know if the narrow road is a path that you want to be on or desire to be on or even following on a day-to-day basis, well, you would treat others as you want them to treat you. Because immediately after Jesus says this, the very next two verses are the ones we read at the beginning of every service for the last three weeks. There is a wide road, it leads to destruction. And there's a narrow road, and it leads to life. So let's be specific then. Let's define both the wide road and then let's define the narrow road based on the words of Jesus, him being the gate and him being the way and this understanding of life. And I would call it this, that this road that leads to destruction, I think you could define it and summarize it in this simple way. It is a selfish life devoid of love and mercy. It is a life that is self-oriented It is focused around what you want and how you want it. It is a life that you and I can immediately call to mind example after example of destruction. Somebody who has lived their life in a way that was focused on what they wanted and their family paid the price. Or they focused on what they desired. No love, no mercy, a selfish life. But then Jesus comes along and says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life And how many find it? Only a few. And so mostly in that old paradigm of a morally strict life, we were taught that only a few find that path because most of us want to live lives of sin. But you don't want that. You know that it leads to destruction. You don't desire it. What you want is to find the God life that he gave you. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So what would be this narrow road? What's the life of agape love? And Jesus says it over and over and over again, and it's repeated time and time again in the rest of the New Testament. This is the narrow road, and it is the hardest choice you'll ever make. In fact, the most difficult choices that you're faced with every day are whether or not you'll choose a life of agape love. So we use this word agape because it is unique in the Greek and it has no English corresponding word. A best way to say it would be, in English would be, this is a life of love that is practically expressed and it's tangible in its effect. In other words, it shows up. It's not an emotion. It's not something I feel. It is almost always something that I do. And when it shows up, then I find myself placing the needs of somebody else before my own. And I can do that in the context of my family, 
my marriage, if I'm married, my kids, if I'm a parent, my neighbors, if I live in proximity to other people. It is a life of agape love. And Jesus promised that if you live this way, that you will find life, the God life. And so in your career, you're faced with choices, putting your needs first or somebody else's. In every relationship you have, you're faced with every choice like this every day. And so if you read the teachings of Jesus with this lens, then all of a sudden, it's like the optometrist click that one lens in front of your face and you can see all the way across the room, the letters are clear as can be. In fact, Jesus says, do not murder. That's a good law. You should probably not murder. But what about anger? Anger is the thing that will kill somebody's soul. So Jesus said, if you respond to people in anger, then you find yourself guilty of breaking the entire law. What do you hear? Ah, a life that leads to the God life is a life of agape love. And then Jesus comes along and says, you've heard, be nice to your friends and you can have disdain and even hatred for your enemies. Jesus says, no, 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 I've got a different path for you. I I know it's going to be hard. In fact, it's going to be narrow. It's going to squeeze you. You're not going to want to do it. In fact, it's going to put so much pressure on you that only good stuff is going to come out. But don't just be nice to your friends, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're supposed to love your what? Your enemies. This will lead to a God life. A God life. What else have we studied in the Sermon on the Mount? Every principle flows from this idea. That agape love, agape love is the only path of the narrow road that leads to the God life that he wants for us. Um, Don't pretend to be more spiritual than you are. That's superficial, Jesus says. So if you pray for people to see you and pat you on the back, then you will have received your reward. When you pray, go into a closet, shut the door. Don't give and have people announce it with trumpets. Do this internally. Why? Because it will bring about a life of agape love. What gets in the way of love? The people that God has called you to love. Well, it's going to be things like worry, anxiety, judgment. Every one of these he addresses in the Sermon on the Mount. Agape love is the only path. Jesus speaks to every one of them. You might think, isn't Jesus concerned with moral living at all? It sounds like you think that somebody could live completely amorally and be on the narrow road. No, Jesus is deeply concerned about morals. Don't be mistaken. But when Jesus is concerned about morals, he believes this, that moral living flows from love, always. So he says, don't commit adultery. That's a pretty good good rule you should live by. But that won't get it done. It won't take care of the business. You could still not commit adultery and objectify somebody else as a creation of God and use them for your own selfish ends, what he calls it lust, and find yourself violating the law of love. You won't find anything written in the Ten Commandments or the Jewish laws that identify lust as a problem of the heart. 
But Jesus comes along and he raises the bar and he says, if you want to find a God life, a life of agape love will get you there. Obey the law, still not love. A life that's morally strict, you can do that and not love at all. Moral legalism, if you've got your compass and a map and a path, moral legalism will get you nowhere near the land of love. I promise. And so what does the narrow road look like? Well, the narrow road looks like a a life of agape love. It's a simple statement, but it's got some practicality to it. What does the broad road look like? Well, it's a selfish life. It's devoid of love and mercy. And so if we're going to be on the narrow road together, I've made a little list of some things that I think are described in the Sermon on the Mount. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. That's what Jesus says. So the narrow road looks like this. Forgiveness is freely given. There's somebody in your life that you thought, you know what, I can forgive so much, but I can't forgive that. The narrow road, the truth that will squeeze you is this truth. Forgiveness is freely given. It doesn't matter who they are. Enemies are what? For the follower of Jesus, enemies are non-existent completely. In fact, Jesus uses the word enemies so that you think of the one person that comes to mind when I say the word enemy. He wants you to understand that there is a person that you feel like has offended you or come at you or made your life miserable or caused you all sorts of pain or struggle. Jesus would say, honestly, enemies are non-existent. If you're on the narrow road, we use what we have to help other people. So we don't, in his words, store up treasures on earth. We store them up in heaven. That's what he means. We use what we have to help other people. We do not keep score or hold grudges. And probably, maybe the most important, that speaks to the context of this parable, this metaphor of the wide road and the narrow road. We guard our hearts against the wide road of selfish living, moral legalism, and judging others. It leads to pride and destruction. And more broadly, success, purpose, and meaning are found in a life of sacrificial love. This is what it means to be on the narrow road. And so what Jesus says, plainly and simply, is this. This is a narrow road and leads to life. You're invited to it. Remember, from the very beginning of this series, Jesus is always inviting. And so this week, the invitation is to you to walk this narrow road. And it looks a lot like this. And you could add your own bullets and say, I also think Jesus was talking about this. And you could add some texture and context to the very things that Jesus was describing, not just in his parables, not just in the Sermon on the Mount, but in every statement that he makes. But I promise you, he's calling you to a place of sacrificial, tangible, practical love every moment of every day. And so you, with this in mind, know this is true, that dozens of time a day, we get a chance to move from the narrow road to the wide road and back to the narrow road. And when we do that, we choose this place of agape love. Let me guide you through a prayer, some simple questions. We'll seal this up with a simple statement and a song that we're asking God to help us build our life. So let me ask you to pray with me. Lord, those who are online today on this uh, snowy Sunday and those who are in this room, we come to you with open hearts, surrendered lives. 
we take to heart the teachings of Jesus and recognize that there are, there are a couple roads that we could be traveling on right now. Or we believe that the broad road is a, a life that is self-oriented, self-obsessed even. Or maybe just tipping toward selfish ways. And so, Lord, would you call to mind some of those selfish ways to us right now? Ways in which we have wanted what we've wanted and we've done what we've needed to to get it and secure it or keep others at arm's length. Or we believe that what Jesus says in this, this metaphor, this little parable, that if we live that way, we will find our life to be a waste or these moments to be a waste. Certainly those decisions or those paths to be a waste, it will lead to a life of destruction. Lord, we don't want that. Unnecessary pain, missing out on the God life that you have in store for us. And so Lord, we recognize that you've called us to live a life of agape love, a a practical expression of selfless concern for the people around us placing the needs of others ahead of our own so we believe that we'll have a chance to do that today and we believe that that choice that is in front of us well it just won't appear like two roads that we're making a choice that is significant it might even feel insignificant Lord but you've called us to follow you and you've called us this invitation to love well the people around us. And so we pray that you would give us the courage to take a step toward this narrow road. Your promise is is that it will be difficult, that it will squeeze us, but that good stuff will come as a result. So Lord, would you help us to build our life for you today? Help us to seek you in ways maybe that we haven't before. Help us to be thoughtful and reflect on this. Help us to understand that you've called us to a life of selfless love. And so may we build this life to you, seeking you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray.